Welcome to the Building the Cooperative Classroom podcast, the official podcast of the Johnson & Johnson Cooperative Learning Institute. Welcome to Building the Cooperative Classroom podcast. My name is Adam Rubichek. With me today is Derek Swistak. Hey, hey. And Aaron Fleming. Que pasa, mis amigos? Que pasa yourself? Um, so we were in the midst of a great discussion about engaging cooperative or engaging reluctant cooperators, and we cut a little bit short because I think it was a little, little too, uh, a little too meaty for just one episode. So we're going to pick up our discussion again, and Aaron had some other thoughts about that. Well, um, let's pick it back up with you know when Derek and Adam started to talk about that that environment that we create, an environment where students feel comfortable to make a mistake, where they can be vulnerable. And I think that there are some some very simple things that we can do to to start to create that environment. And I know we probably talked about this uh, back in a previous episode, but I I don't want my students to be that class where they walk through the cafeteria and they say, oh, yeah, I know that kid. They're in my class. And someone says, well, what's their name? And then the student says, I have no idea. I think one of the first first big things. And when I say big, I think it can mean a lot, but it really is a, it's a small thing to do is just to simply learn everyone's name in the class, you know, and by doing that at the very beginning of the the school year, I, I feel like my students automatically grasp onto, boy, the other people in this class are just as important as the stuff that we're learning. You know, if, if, he really wants us to learn each other's names. Well, you know, he's putting a great emphasis on it. So, you know, once they know each other's names, and again, I'm going to encourage every single student to, to be able to tell me who somebody is every day. But I think any time that I'm after any retrieval of information, um, you know, after I've had students talk to each other about something, I always try to say, instead of tell me what you think, it's, well, tell me what your group member said. So if, you know, if I were calling on, you know, Adam and Derek and Susanna, I would say, Derek, I'm sure you had some great thoughts in your group. Uh, I'm sure Adam had some great thoughts too, but hey, tell me what did Susanna have to say? Or I might just say, hey, Derek, tell me what did one of your partners have to say in your group? And that way it, it pushes it out for Derek to know that, yeah, it's important that Adam and Susanna say something and contribute to this so that he is going to try to elicit a response from them because he knows that I may ask for that. So it, it just continues to build that. Again, it builds the why, why are we doing this? Because Derek now knows that it's his job to learn, but it's also his job to help Adam and Susanna learn as well. So really something as simple as learning names and then making sure we, you know, we ask, what did your partner say? What did your group say? But uh, we all know it's not that easy. And um, I think uh, Adam might have some thoughts about uh, when it's not easy. So I think this, this speaks to the heart of listening skills. So Aaron, by making that teacher choice, you really helped the other students in class know that you care a lot about their listening. You're not concerned necessarily with just having the right answer. If they just want the right answer, they're just going to give you that right answer. But you want to know what was everybody thinking inside of that group, which means that in my mind, I have to be listening to what the rest of my groupmates are thinking. Well, 
does it always go so smoothly though? What happens? I mean, what happens when we get just a complete detractor, someone who is really like the big speed bump in the cooperative path? I think that's something that we all deal with. You know, I've had my, my, my share of students that just say, I don't want to do this. I don't want to talk to my group. I don't want to participate. I just want to do my own thing. You can't make me be nice to other people. You can't make me interact with other people. And sometimes that student has a point. It could be a bad day. It could be um, an instance in which there's some sort of interpersonal conflict between those students. And in the midst of that conflict is probably not the time to do it. So the question comes up, can you sort of withhold the group from a student or let a student opt out of the group? And you know, it's kind of a kind of a touchy subject, but I would say in an isolated incident, it's probably okay. But if we see that happen repeatedly, if it's the same student or the same group, or there's a pattern emerging, I think we really need to start to be concerned about what's preventing that student or those students from working together. You know, are there underlying SEL concerns? Is there, like I said, is there an interpersonal conflict that we need to deal with? I think in the moment though, if a student is, I won't say having a meltdown, but if a student is having a, some sort of a crisis where they just can't participate in the group, forcing them is not going to make it better. Um, we can suggest, we can encourage, but if it's not happening at that point, we let it lie and we, we come back to it and address it maybe when, when uh, emotions are a little, little more even. I think this speaks though, right, about the teacher mindset too, is like, you know, teachers make about, they, they say on average, three to four decisions per minute. Um, having those, having that mindset of not just the academic um, focus, but actually having a focus of what skills do I want to leave my kids behind with after they leave my classroom that are not related to whatever subject matter you're teaching. Um, that may even not be related to um, the skills that that they might be fo- that they might be getting by reading or by writing or, or speaking, but just just their skills that they're going to get out of being in a small group to be a better independent learner by knowing what resources, knowing how to utilize other people, knowing how to um, do active recall with another, with a partner. Those are all skills that you have to have in the back of your mind as a teacher. So that when kids are asking those kinds of questions, you're continuing, you can say, okay, today, you know, is the day that we're not going to, you know, force this behavior, but let's keep our eyes on the prize. Here are the skill sets. Here's why we need those skill sets as we move into the future. Here are the things that you as an individual said you wanted to get better at. And that means that you need to acquire these skills. And here's a perfect opportunity for us to, for us to model them, for us to practice them, and for you to get better at it and receive feedback on those skills. There's going to be no other time in your uh, life where you can get those, that feedback, here's a perfect opportunity to get that feedback. Well, it, it's that it's the, it's the modeling, right? It, you, you're, you're setting, you're setting up the, the foundations of, of the environment in your classroom. And with that flexibility and the modeling that, you know, okay, we show each other grace, we show each other understanding. And, you know, we, we, we hope that that's reciprocal. And those are all things that, you know, I think as, as human beings, we just, we just need that flexibility and that grace because, you know, as, as you both mentioned, Derek and Adam, you know, you can't force someone to cooperate and you you can't make 
anything cooperative punitive. There's nothing in the negative that, that we, we tell, we don't tell students don't have your headphones. Then we say, be an active listener by making sure that your group members are, are more important than your phone or music or your Chromebook, anything punitive, anything negative, we want to take out of the equation. And we just want to use that as, you know, a chance to be flexible and, and show kids those behaviors. Those are the things that we want. And this really goes beyond cooperative learning. This is the teacher mindset of building a student-centered classroom, that it's not about control. It's not about forcing your students to comply with what you picture as being the ideal classroom, but allowing the students to build their own space and responding to their needs and guiding them in a direction that you think is better for all, but still allowing their voice to come through. And I know I just threw in probably 14 different buzzwords that we like to use um, when building building the classroom. But I think it, I think it's true that the I'll say 20th century version of a of a classroom that is all about compliance and is about teacher focused, standing at the front of the room lecturing, versus a 21st century view of how are the students together going to construct their understanding and how is the teacher acting as a guide for that experience really comes through on this. And if we are putting the students at the center of the classroom, having them all together cooperating with each other is is probably the best way to accomplish that. Preach, Brother Adam, preach. Um, I think there's, there is one other thing uh, I definitely want to hit on. And it's, it's something that, you know, whether or not in my role as a cooperative learning trainer and Derek and Adam can certainly speak to both of these things. Um, or if it's, uh, you know, our role as an instructional coach or, you know, Derek as a department chairperson or Adam as a school admin, you know, when, when somebody comes to you and says, I just have X number of kids in my class and I just can't get them to cooperate. What kind of advice would you give them? So I, I think, you know, the first thing is to examine why do they want to cooperate? Why do they want the students to cooperate on this task? Um, what is their reasoning for it? Um, is there positive interdependence built in? Um, is there a sense of purpose behind what, why they're doing it this way? Um, and then the, the second thing is, you know, finding out if there is a group that you can model this for, um, having them work with a smaller group number of students to try to help them um, work work with um, seven students instead of 10 students, leaving three outside of the outside of the norm. I struggle with that sometimes, though, because then, you know, it feeds the narrative that like, oh, you know, they don't have to do this. Um, and that speaks more to the course itself. Like, do they feel a sense of purpose in what they're doing, both academically and skill development wise. Teaching isn't easy. And, and it really um, falls to building those relationships between teacher and student and student and student. And really those first few weeks become really important to, to building a classroom that values that. Um, and I think, I think you know if you have that many students, let's say you have 10 students that don't wanna do it out of 30, taking a step back and, and, and resetting um, might be a good place to be. Um, setting up new classroom norms, talking through the whys of what you're doing, making sure that people feel safe before you even get to that sense of purpose or that sense of connectedness um, might be appropriate. Um, realizing that 
what works second period doesn't always work sixth period because you've got a different community of learners there is really important. And I, I agree with everything Derek said. And I also like to um, think about the movie, What About Bob? And the advice that Dr. Leo Marvin gave Bob was that baby steps. We're taking baby steps to the elevator, um, baby steps down the hall, where maybe a full-on cooperative experience, giving students freedom and, and, and free reign and you know, a 15-minute or 20-minute activity, that might be too much. But maybe setting up some interdependence with a quick lesson in social skills and having a two-minute activity and then bringing the class back together and then setting them for another two minutes and bringing the class back together. Set them up for success. Give them a series of positive experiences so that two minutes can become three, can become five, can become 15. If students haven't seen a good model of cooperative learning, it's really hard to do cooperative learning. And so this way, if we cut it so short that they can't help but be positive, they can't help but have success, they're gonna see that model and they're gonna build on it. Well, and I think that's important too, you know, you're talking about the, the the teacher, you know, decisions that go into all of this. Who do you who do you group students with? You know, do you do you put them in the optimal situation? If if I know that Derek has a hard time cooperating right now, and I know that he needs my support, I might not put him with you know, the other student that I might perceive to be also having just as hard of a time, right? I may try to slide Derek into a group of, you know, kids who are really, you know, well adept at cooperating that they, they already have some polished social skills. So I, I, I want to make sure that, you know, I would tell, you know, teachers be strategic about your groupings for sure. And then Baby steps, I think, is, is a great analogy. I would always say, okay, if you've got six students that you really feel aren't cooperating the way that you want them to, start by really giving feedback. Of course, you want to give feedback to all of them, but start by trying to grab two of those kids and pull them into exactly where you want them to be. Pick them off one at a time, but just little by little, you know, because sometimes that six students or eight students, it can just seem like so many. So if we just... We just pare it down just a little bit. I think that that helps as well. I think the other thing to kind of keep in mind is that you can be a good model and be a part of the classroom and show that you're a learner by by being involved in those groups. You don't always have to be circulating around. Position yourself to a spot where you can still survey the classroom, but you can be actually a, an active member of a group. And, you know, some of the best successes that I've had is bringing in some extra students from a different class or from a previous year. That are, that are looking to help you out and, and helping them be models or plants in the classroom as well can be great. I think you got to be careful with, with um, selective grouping too. Like, you know, if you've ever said to yourself like, oh, I got to move my seating chart because the kids are talking too much. That's not really the mindset that, and I didn't, and I'm not saying that Aaron was saying that, but I mean, if you are in that mindset, then that's not really the mindset of, of really getting better as a cooperative cooperative learning practitioner, keeping in mind, you know, going back and setting some norms as to how you talk to one another and when you talk about what and how you, you know, settle some of those things. And it's just an evolving process and realizing that it's okay in one class to be um, a little bit behind uh, in terms of their development because they're coming in less developed or maybe they're coming in right after lunch. Who knows? You know, there's a lot of things that can play a role in that classroom itself. Um, but keeping in mind, 
you know, that the, the whys of what you're doing, the purpose. With that, I think we're, we're at a good stopping point. Um, you know, over these last two episodes, I think we definitely uh, scratched the surface of how to get some of those reluctant cooperators on board, but this will be an ongoing discussion. I'm sure it'll come up uh, over the course of the show. So Derek, Aaron, thank you for a good discussion once again. Aaron? Let's cooperate. Thank you for listening to the Building the Cooperative Classroom podcast, the official podcast of the Johnson & Johnson Cooperative Learning Institute. Please check out the show notes for all relevant links, including a link to our Twitter account and the Cooperative Learning Institute webpage. This podcast is copyrighted under the Creative Commons license, copyright 2021. Theme music, courtesy of Jimmy Ryan.